0: Rethinking healthcare takes more than disruption. It takes more than thought leaders. It takes change makers and doers. That's who we'll be speaking to on the Healthcare Rethink Podcast, giving you, our dedicated listeners, a rich body of insights to make your own change. This is the Healthcare Rethink Podcast. Yes, this is the Healthcare Rethink Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Urban. And today we are talking all things clinical innovation. And who better to join us for this conversation than Vice President of Clinical Innovations at Carbon Health, Dr. Ayobami Olufadeji. Welcome to the show, Ayobami.
1: Thanks, Brian. It's so good to be here.
0: Thank you for having me. And this is great because we've gotten to know each other a little bit before the show. So we're definitely gonna talk about uh, you and your experiences, uh, what time zones you're in probably right now, (laughs) and, and, and all things in between. So with every show, we like to get our guests familiar uh, with our audience and vice versa. So we want to go back before the MD, before your big Dartmouth accolades, uh, before you started practicing and toggling entrepreneurship. Uh, Take us back to who Ayobami is. Uh, Take us back to the homeland. Take us to Nigeria. Uh, What drove you into medicine and what drove you into innovation? Tell us a little bit more there. Yeah, no, Brian. Thank you
1: so much for having me. And and like I keep saying, you know, it's so impressive you're saying my name. It 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 sounds almost like I'm home. So I feel I feel comfortable. I'll start from there. But yeah, you know, um, I grew up in Nigeria, as as you know, and as we spoke about it prior. Um, and I actually had kind of a important uh, event when I was five years old. So you know, to some degree, you know, this story is a story that many have heard before. But I grew up, you know, I lived it. I grew up poor in, in Lagos, and You know, one of the things that happened when I was younger was there was a death in the community that I lived in. And after a conversation with my mom at the age of five, I actually just decided that I was going to become a doctor. It was like that simple for me. And so when other kids thought they were going to become soccer stars or, you know, musicians, Michael Jackson was big back then. I just my 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 story was simple. I was like, I'm going to become a physician. Um, And it was really because of that need. And I will say, you know, fast forward um, through undergrad and I had a lot of help along the way. Um, but, you know, my first experience actually with the U.S. health system was, ironically, when I was studying for the MCAP. So I used to get these terrible migraines. I remember that, that you know, I was, it was a winter that I was staying on campus. Um, and so the student health services was closed. I didn't have, you know, any way to get to, to the clinic. And I eventually ended up going to the emergency department. And now the care that I received was excellent. You know, top tier. They got me in as as possible treatment. I migrated, everything was great. But I remember a month later getting a bill for like $730 and thinking, huh, but I have health insurance. Like what the heck is going on? So that was, I think my very first time, like thinking like, huh, this health system, like there's, there's opportunity here and it doesn't always make sense. Um, But yeah, that, that is kind of like, you know, the summary and, and, you know, fast forward to getting to Dartmouth, um, which honestly, like best place, I actually have my Dartmouth hat here, Brian, you were supposed to bring it. Your- oh,
0: there it is. Yeah, I, I know.
1: But it's right here. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. But, you know, so this whole time wanted to become a physician, and then first year of med school actually was actually my root awakening. Um, I remember just feeling like, oh, my gosh, this is a master's in biology. And, and kind of what I was really interested in, I realized at that time was like health, health system design. And so, yeah, it, it was a kind of interesting experience for me. I remember that, um, you know, I, I I figured, okay, well, this MD is not going to be enough. Like, there, there are other things I need to. And I still remember going to the uh, Masters of Healthcare Delivery Science program at, at Dartmouth and telling them, hey, you know, I'm interested in your program. And, and they laughed, actually. Um, I'm not going to say how young I was when I started med school, but I was very young. And, and the, the gentleman told me, like, hey, man, you you got to take a beat, basically, is what he said. But what he did do for me was he introduced me to someone who has been my one of my biggest mentors, you know, through my life. His name is Mike Zoukoff, and he ran the MD-MBA program at Dartmouth. And, you know, yeah, and that, that was kind of how the journey started changing. So I can go into more detail, but that's basically it. So, you know, got to Dartmouth, realized I needed something else, met Dr. Zoukoff, who kind of helped me chart the course, ended up leaving there with an MBA degree as well. And, yeah, the, the journey has been much more interesting since then
0: yeah (laughs) yeah and it it keeps getting more interesting because uh you are an outlier in a lot of ways not just because of your age uh but in part because of your background and your passion and and compassion to want to go into practicing medicine and your first experience with receiving care and then kind of the process procedures following that probably quite an interesting and eye-opening opportunity for you and it's great to hear your Uh, One of your mentors, Mike, what a wonderful guy. I I think he's helped so many great entrepreneurial physicians make an impact. And you're a great example of that. So it's safe to say you're a health techie now, I would say, but you're still practicing physician. So uh, how do you balance this? Or is it just a natural blend that just is together and you don't want to separate the two
1: yeah yeah you know in nigeria we have this joke about being a tech bro and a texas and and so not only i'm I'm a tech bro now you know and it's it's uh it's quite interesting to me you know the truth of the matter is um I consider myself like incredibly lucky and incredibly blessed to be able to do doing this way you know there there are days when i'm actually like you know i'm done with uh maybe an exec meeting and i have then i know that the next day i'm going back to the er to practice medicine and for me it actually truly is the best of both worlds if you will and i think you know my my personality as an er physician you know um, there is that saying like jack of all trades, master of one, right, or 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 what have you. And so I think for me, just in my personality, I, I was always going to have a diverse set of experiences. I was always going to be wanting to do just more than, you know, whatever was expected of, you know, whatever career path that I chose. And so yeah, now I think, you know, the balance has actually been A real value add to me as an individual, but also a real value add to the programs that we develop at Carbon and the care that, you know, I've been involved in for patients and also just thinking about health systems in general. Um, I currently practice in the emergency department um, a couple times a month, and then also in the uh, Bethesda urgent care system and also at the Carbon Healthcare urgent care system and one of the beauties of. like yeah so one of the beauties of that is like it is still even though it's a couple shifts a month it is still such a diverse set of experiences you know from retail urgent care to academic advanced urgent care to you know trauma level one trauma emergency department and i just find that you know for the carbon uh part of the of this journey it really allows me to practice what we preach right there are a lot of times you know there's something I call innovation fatigue, which is where like you're trying to innovate so much, everybody gets really tired. And every now and then, like it's helpful for me to go in the clinic and try to practice and just see how cumbersome it might be to wanna to do all these new things. And so that helps me be more realistic about what we roll out. But then what, we, what I learned from Beth Israel, you know, in our urgent care then and advanced academic urgent care, it is very interesting. We have high standards of clinical protocols and I can bring that down into the work that we do at Carbon. And then just being in the emergency department is a fun place, man. Like it is, as wild. Never heard it
0: described like that. You no, know, it, you know, it is, it is
1: <laughs> as wild, wacky, crazy, all the fun. And, and I think you know, for me, it, I really consider it a privilege to be able to be there for patients, kind of in some of people's most critical moments of their lives. And that is a blessing that I do not take for granted. That I still have kind of a skill set that can be used for patients in that way. So, no, for me, I, I absolutely love it. it. It is such a huge variety of of experiences that I, that I adore. So, yeah.
0: Wow. And now I can see it's not a balance. It it all kind of puzzle fits together. I love how you said that you're taking a lot of things that you're working through at Carbon, whether it's development or actually applying some of the innovation that's going out to patients and you're taking it into the actual setting as well. I'm sure it's in different manners, but that's amazing. So it really does fit together. Yeah. Uh, and it's great. I mean, you have no visible gray hair right now, but I oh, mean, it's,
1: let me tell you, Brian. It's <laughs> <your> clothes, clearly.
0: <laughs> oh man, you know
1: the the grays of my soul, but uh, but it's okay. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, uh, it, you know what's so interesting is the the carbon health kind of entering this landscape of virtual care. So I, I want to get into carbon a little bit more. Your urgent care, your primary care. You specialize in women's care, LGBTQ plus as well, and you're in 13 states with a lot of different kind of submarkets as well. Man, you, you all are expanding at a, a very reasonable rate. Not you know you're not going over your skis here to to use a maybe a, a New Hampshire terminology. You're you're staying very balanced in your in your expansion. So as you add more services and features to your tech, how how are you continuing to consider? the patient safety, the patient advocacy side of virtual care.
1: Yeah, no, I think, you know, for for us at Carbon, it's really important that we keep that top of mind. I think, and I alluded to this earlier, saying that, you know, many times you, it, like such a diversity of express. but some one of the things i've had the pleasure of doing at carbon is um, helping us enter new markets and every now and then you have to go to some of these town council meetings where they're like who are you and why on earth are you here and and why are you some other retail urgent care but i think you know we hold ourselves really to high standards of academic excellence and i think you know whether it's me whether it's our cmo whether it's our national um, um, national director for for urgent care and national medical directors, everyone actually has like a strong background in academic medicine, strong backgrounds in rigorous clinical practice. And so, you know, when we think about patient advocacy, I think our thought process actually is that like we are trying to build, you know, and and I'll talk about this some more, but it is really thinking about the definition of like a patient-centered medical home. And, you know, that term is a buzzword, right? I think a lot of people use it up and about, but I think at Carbon, we are very, very, very focused on the patient. We think about how to make sure that patient care is top of the class. We try to make sure that the patient experience truly actually is, is intact. And so for us, yeah, I think it's been measured in our growth. I think we always return to the patient. I think that has been helpful to be kind of our north star. Um, you know, when we, even when we think about our tech, you know, and to be very honest, like to some We've had to adjust this to make sure that the provider experience, right, is just as balanced. But we've really, really focused on just making sure that the care and the care delivery is excellent for our patients. So so that is kind of our approach here is, and I will also say, you know, strategically speaking, right, we have this idea of like an omni-channel approach to medicine, which is why you could say we have so many service lines. I think, you know, what what we're building here is this idea that like all that a patient should need for the foundation of their care, they can come to carbon. They're plugged in the carbon and if they need women's health or it's LGBTQ care or it's uh, care for uh, patients who um, live with diabetes or it's, you know, mental health care. Like we as carbon are trying to make sure that the wraparound services that are necessary for the foundation of improved patient outcomes and better living is actually provided by by our team here. Um, And so that that is our
0: philosophy and how we approach it. I love that you hit on patient centricity because. Without being able to truly understand the individuals that you all are serving in a virtual setting, none of this works. Uh, what I found so interesting is it seems like your growth place was in California. You have a lot of different sub service areas in that state uh, by 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 cities so in terms of virtual care, uh not you know an actual physical provider network sometimes it's a little bit different with contracting. And, you, you had said also you were going to a lot of local kind of meetings to be a part of like the grassroots side of things, too. So can you help me understand how your growth in California maybe fueled your growth through the Midwest and, and even the East Coast? It seems like everything started in California, unless I have it backwards, but it looks like everything's yeah, you have me right. You're right. Actually, right. you know, my first job at Carbion was um, –
1: uh, regional medical director for new markets. And so, you know, I, I joined Carbid, you know, two and a half years ago when we had grown a lot in California. And I spent my first year at Carbid um, basically helping us enter new markets. At one point, I helped uh, manage our 10 new states. And so really, I was there, right? It was, you know, I drove the bus to move the supplies to open the clinics in Florida. Like, you know, I did a lot of that. And I do think that, you know, we we learned a lot from taking care, of, as as you just described, like, one thing I think that's very interesting about California is the the kind of sub-regions there are so different, right? Like we, we think of our regions, you know, broadly speaking, NorCal, SoCal, but even when you dive deeper into that, you understand that there are populations where, you know, and, you know, you can use payers to kind of think about this, but there's, you know, places where there's a huge Medicaid population or there's a huge Medicare population or it's completely commercial. And, you know, you can kind of use that as surrogates to understand how you can approach certain populations and think about, you know, contracting in different markets. And so I think, yeah, that that experience, you know, the fact that California in its own right is just a very diverse place to deliver care and with diverse patient population populations, I think really equipped us um, to get into, you know, Kansas and Missouri. Um, and also, I think we had we had experience in California with working with health system partners. And so in that same vein, you know, we we had tried. And so even though Carbon was just in California, the point I'm trying to make is that there had just been a lot of experiments, right? Like whether with health system partners, with different payers, with different patient populations, with virtual versus in-clinic versus primary care versus virtual urgent care. Like we had, we had, done a lot of experimentation with our model in California to figure out and understand what would make sense as we rolled out to all these other states that we that we are now in and so
0: yeah And it's great that you started on the market development side and then worked your way into innovation because clearly you've seen what had to work and what you had to improve upon or create so the the innovation side seems like a very natural evolution for you at carbon so it's interesting, the the payer side that you had mentioned, especially in California, you look from California, you look to the Midwest, you look at Florida, it's just so different, uh, I'd say, in terms of, of risk, provide uh, relations, payer relations, you know, just so very different. Uh, can you help me understand how payers have adopted your model of care or or have seen some of the, the nuance to your care models and found it maybe valuable, and and started to kind of put maybe different pay for performance measures and things like that. I'm just curious yeah. of how how it's so different across the country in each kind of sub. Yeah. So I, I will say, you know, it, it it is very
1: different across the board, and I think you know. There, there are some payers who are stuck in kind of their standard ways and still want facts and claims and you know set in this traditional way. And then there are some, and I will give a shout out to the Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, group in Massachusetts who actually partnered with us to start our virtual first primary care, which I can get into in more detail. But I would say one, one thing. One, one thing is for certain though, and I would say you know in as much as there are people who are lagging behind and there are people who are you know if you want to say progressive in that way when you think about the payer space. There has been a shift, right, in the last two years. And everyone will say this, so I'm not going to belabor it. But with COVID and, and virtual care kind of creating its own space, I will say that even everyone who is slower or everyone who's faster is all moving in that direction to where they understand that we can deliver, you know, virtual, we can deliver care virtually and the outcomes can, you know, be just as good. And, and so I think, and I will say actually, Outcomes obviously take some time to get to, but the patient experience is excellent, right? We, we've run a virtual primary care offering in Massachusetts now for the last, I don't know, seven months. It's based out of Massachusetts, but we cover an additional uh, 10 states. Um, and the NPS from that service line is 97%. I mean, that is mind blowing, right? Like, and, and, and we've had 25% of patients who actually filled out the service. So, so one in four patients is, are telling us that the experience is actually 10 out of 10 over and over and over and over and over again. And so I think, you know, for us, we, we found that that patient experience is excellent. We found that patients are way more engaged in the care. People are scheduling their follow-ups before the visit is over. They're tying themselves better to the healthcare experience because the there's the, it, it's no longer as cumbersome for them to seek care as it once was. You know, when you have to schedule the appointment and drive to the clinic, you, you know that if you needed your care team, you could book an appointment within a day and be seen virtually. And so I think, you know, from our perspective, um, and, and, you know, we started by talking about payers. I think payers understand that this is changing. I think the outcomes, some of the long-term outcomes, you know, we do have to see it. There's no silver bullet to seeing this. That we're in a relationship now with Blue Cross, and, you know, we'll start to share our data as, as we have it. But I do think that, like, the fact that patients are way more engaged, um, the fact that, like, the access to care is better, um, I think is going to be a net positive overall just for for care delivery. And I think payers understand that just as well now.
0: And I I love that you're raising up Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts because they're a smaller blue and just in terms of geography uh, maybe by volume as well for the lives they serve. But for other larger Blue Cross Blue Shield entities even private plans, they're just behemoths. You know, the United the, the, the Humana's uh, of the world. Uh, it's interesting. I in, in my payer days in terms of contracting and market development, it was a very localized approach. And everywhere, but it wasn't strung across in a uniform way of pushing everyone toward value-based care, pushing everyone toward, hey, let's lead with the experience, and we'll we'll study and find the outcomes, and kind of create benchmarks off of that, and and find new models to deliver. It wasn't like that, and that was just like you know uh, seven years ago or you know six years ago, and then it's just light speed now. So I I do love to hear that payers have been adopting. Uh, just better innovation and and thinking about the experience first and and then how you get to the outcomes. So let's talk about, let's talk about that first virtual, uh, virtual clinic that's been stood up uh, with support of Massachusetts Blue Cross Blue Shield. Uh, Tell us, tell us about the relationship uh, and how it's expanded. It seems like it's growing some really nice fruit here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been amazing. So at the start of this year, um, we, got into that relationship with Blue Cross, we stood up a virtual primary care, virtual first primary care offering. Um, and we started with four PCPs. So it's basically a part of PCPs. And we also, um, what one couple of things that I thought were really unique about our model was um, two things. One is that we also embedded prime, uh, mental health care within primary care, which I absolutely love, and I could talk about for days and days and days. Matter of fact, like, it it's called a collaborative care model, I think started out of Washington. And so it's been around for, you know, about a decade or so, and it's been slowly growing. And now we have it at Carbon, and and just the outcomes that we have from that are completely mind-blowing. Some of the stories from the patients exciting. I think what we've also built in is we've built in a virtual endocrinology service at Carbon, And so our virtual endocrinology allows us to escalate patients who need any endo issues, but primarily for patients who have diabetes. And so we we see outcomes of how that's been improved. But yeah, no. So we we have it's a value based care agreement, um, and, and you know details are details are the details. But but that is essentially what we've signed with Blue Cross of Massachusetts, and it's been great actually to have a payer who supports that movement. Right, we've seen thousands of patients now over the last seven or so months, and it, it's been amazing to just see that one we have good relationships with payers. Two, we understand we are aligned, right? Because we're both aligned one on. You know, trying to improve outcomes for patients and increasing access to care. And then too, I think from a from a um, reimbursement perspective, I think we're all aligned to understanding that, like, we will try our best and, and really, like, stretch ourselves to make sure that the care for these patients is holistic, um, and ideally, you know, less expensive um, than what they will get uh, otherwise. And so, yeah, it, I mean, some of the outcomes that we have, for example, is, you know, um, 90 or so p- percent of our patients get seen within a week, um, of, of, of when they want to book a visit. So you know we, we, with having the four providers in there, we've allowed ourselves to open schedules. I also really think that one thing that, that is really um, interesting that we've not yet capitalized on, but I think that we have the early beginnings are everyone who joins this primary care team or primary care uh, services also assigned what we call a care guide. And this care guide is really the person who works with you to make sure that your appointments are scheduled, to make sure that your outside records are done, that your lab orders are in, things of that nature. And we've started to see sparks of where patients actually know their care guide by name. And so are saying like, oh, I thank you for the care that X provided me. And many times X is actually not their provider. It's not the clinician. It is the, you know, care guide assigned to their case or the care guide assigned to them. And And I actually really think that, you know, that model of having someone who is not necessarily a physician, but someone who really is your healthcare advocate is something that I think that we can capitalize on it and actually grow. And so I'm excited to see some of the first fruits of that of that coming to bear. But no, it, it's been an amazing experience just working with a payer partner that understands, working with the healthcare team and, you know, our provider teams are really, really excited about, you know, making a difference. And patient care has been excellent, uh, for, you know, from what we can tell so
0: far, so. I love hearing that because I think the theme that I, I was so used to being inside a payer for a long time was uh, the primary care physician is the quarterback of care, and they're going to guide everything. Uh, and sometimes administrative things would fall under that as well. And that's not that just, um, and you're a physician uh, still and by background, like that can't happen. So the care guide, being someone that is more, uh, maybe a higher IQ in administrative processes, um, and that i don't know i, I don't know if they're nurse uh, science background there was a lot of care managers back in the day that would juggle the healthcare side care coordination and also the administrative side but it sounds like this care guide is just has a higher iq for administrative processes and yes. and and just being logistically sound is that what yeah. the care guide yeah. is Yeah, i think
1: the first thing actually is that they're kind right? And they, they're kind and they love taking care of patients. I mean, you know, I I had the privilege of interviewing all four of them that we hired. And that was actually kind of the foundation of where we're saying, do we, can we find people who care about others? And then we can train them on how to, you know, click the referral and pull that in and, you know, send the re- re- refill request for the medication. Like that stuff can be trained. But I think Fundamentally, is like are they kind? Do they care about other people? And can they show that in their work and be effervescent every day? And so, yeah, that that's essentially what they are. They're high IQ admin, um, but they actually really do a lot of care coordination. And then also, we've trained them to do things like motivational interviewing. We've trained them to help patients work with their goals. And so, we have this logging uh, that is built in our app. And so, basically, you can log your blood pressure, you can log your exercise, you can log actually how you're feeling, you can log pain, different things like that. And so. If you're on such a plan that says, hey, I want to lose XYZ weight or I want to work out XYZ times, you know, that care guide is able to use that data, check back in with you, do some motivation interviewing to make sure that we're all meeting your,
0: you know, that the team is coming together to help you meet your, your health goals. So I yeah. love that it. it's a virtual community that's being yes. built around a patient's needs. Yes. And I, I wanna get into maybe your perspective on virtual care being adopted outside the us and i should have asked this to begin with what so what time zone are you in are you (laughs) (laughs) you?
1: i happen to be on on the east coast best coast time zone today very nice yes (laughs) all
0: right i just want to check because i never know if you're five hours ahead of me same same time or if you're you know if you're behind me i never know but uh well you're a big traveler obviously you you go home a lot you care for your family but you also do travel uh, for your for your work and probably also for leisure, I would suspect as well. All the miles that you get. So, looking at virtual care specifically, do you see this being adopted in in different ways? I mean, very different kind of uh, payment, single payment systems yeah. outside the U.S. But yeah. Yeah. is it being adopted in maybe in niche ways, mental yeah. health, yeah. diet outside
1: yeah. the U.S.? Yeah. So I'll say you know I spend so the, the places I'll talk about are like. London, England. So I could t- I could talk a little bit about there. And then obviously, Nigeria, which is where I spent a, a decent amount of my time as well. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the what I'm observing happening in the UK, because I have a number of friends who are physicians there, is that the NHS moves slowly. I don't think that's is surprising to anybody. But I will say that they are moving in a systematic way. And so, you know, obviously, with COVID, they started to do a number, I think I've read that 85% or so of primary care visits were all in person prior prior to COVID, um, and that number now is you know down to in the sixties. But I think what has been actually really interesting to see is that um, they have a well articulated plan for what they want to get done. The NHS now has an app that is has already been downloaded by over fifty percent of the population in the UK. I think it is. Me in, in England, sorry. It it is so interesting to me that like I don't think there's any health system that can boast that in the US to say like our app has been downloaded by half of the country. You know, so you know and then and then another 70% of people have logins. So they have you know they're using the web version of the app. And so I think, you know Because it's a single payer system, because a lot of the healthcare is provided by the government in the UK, I think the NHS is onto something and they have a lot of strategic uh, plans in place to try to get those numbers up. I think the app downloads is a a great example of that. The number of people who have signed up for, you know, some telemedicine service in in some capacity. I think what's also really interesting is they have about 50, what they call virtual wards, which are basically hospital at home systems. And I think, I can't remember the exact number, but it's over 20,000 beds. Um, that they've actually stood up for patients who can get healthcare at home. So I think slow but steady. And I think they might win the race, you know, and, and as, as that saying goes, just because of having a single payer and making sure that everybody is aligned. Um, you know, Nigeria, on the other hand, I think you have spurts here and there um, where people are excited about the model. But I think that we have challenges with payment models in, in Nigeria. Um, most of 70 percent or 80 percent of uh, healthcare care spend is out of pocket. And so you, you have people who are really, you know, it, it takes consumerism to the next level. And now, you know, I I know people who have started companies that offer, you know, virtual primary care visits for the equivalent of like $20 a visit. And now it's like $15 a visit. And so, you you know, you're having your margins squeezed out because you're competing truly on an open market um, for, for uh, an, an individual's uh, pocket. And so... I think yeah, you know my, my thought process is like as far as Nigeria is concerned, there will be adoption. It will take some time. We have to figure out you know economic models that make it work. But yeah, that that those those are kind of the experiences that I'm always you know thinking in my head about how we juxtapose the U.S. to some of these other countries where 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 healthcare is transform transforming anyway as well.
0: well. It's interesting to see the, the cross between England and Nigeria. That's an amazing amount of out of pocket spend volume uh and then in the us you just have an amazing amount of medical debt and it's just the way that it's put into a business model is so different across the globe i think is what you're coming out here uh, I, and i i just love your perspective so i had to get a little bit of the global perspective uh in, in terms of virtual care so looking at uh looking at carbon health i want to go into the future here so three plus years what is Carbon Health's greatest contribution going to be to the ecosystem or, or to the patients that they that they serve?
1: Yeah, no, that that uh, it's a great question. And when you say that greatest contribution, I'm like, oh god, I hope I hope we do have a good. Time. We're, we're doing really well at Carbon. I think you know there there are a few things. Um, the first is this idea of like I keep saying it, we're really really patient centered. I think the Carbon Health app is really built for patients and i think that there is going to be and not you know lots of health systems now have their version of a patient side or patient portal or what have you and i think that that is great but but it's literally going to be the difference between an iphone and like a nokia 3310 you know like we are going to really 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 smash it out the water i think we're so you know exactly yeah it's it, it's going to be this it's a phone but if, you know the levels are going to be we're going to blow out the water and i think really thinking about how you Think about a patient, put their patient experience in an app and clean it through the way so that the patient can get all the things they need for their care. I think that is the foundation. We truly believe that app is the door. And then I think this idea that I discussed earlier where a lot of the things that a patient needs for the foundation of their care, I think we will start to find that a, a lot more models are becoming like that. Because I think what we have today is we have big health systems. And then we have retail urgent care brands or, you know, retail primary care brands. And I think at Carbon, we're truly trying to figure out, I mean, today, for all intents and purposes, we're probably closer on the retail urgent care, retail primary care brand chain. But how do we really think about care coordination for our patients? Like I said, you know, we have the care guides now that we're testing out and, and, and learning, learning from that. How do we think about some low-hanging fruit for specialty care, right? We have endocrinology that is built in-house. We have mental health that is integrated into primary care. So I do think that what we're going to show in in three years or so is proof of concept of what it means to build an advanced primary care practice, what it means to have services in-house that provide the foundation of care for an individual, and then and then go 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 from there and and become basically be pointed to as the the company that kind of designed and developed that. So that's the second one. And then last one I'll say is like we love technology at carbon. I believe and you know, I can be fact checked, but we are the first um first company to integrate AI into our provider app. Like exactly, like, you know, I gotta say, I gotta I gotta let the people know. So, you know, we're the first company to integrate AI into our provider app, the native provider app, so not you know, some other service that was bought out. And I think you know what what we are bullish about at Carbon now, in addition to the patients, is actually starting to think about how we make the provider experience better and how do we reduce what is called pajama time and how do we make it easier for people to get patient records and how is it easy to reach out to patients and to get information back to patients. Now we have logging that is built in and, you know, I could talk about many examples where because the patient is logging their blood pressure at home, the primary care provider is doing a better job of fine-tuning their blood pressure medications. I mean, I have lots of examples that ever give me goosebumps of where, you know, patient has been out of control for a while, we start logging, they touch the medication, two to three weeks later, they're now in range. I know, and are some of the beautiful things that we're able to do because we really think about how to provide care using the app and use the technology and so i think yeah those would be the three frontiers that you know everyone will know that we came and we and we try to change the landscape so
0: yeah and none of those are trends all of those are emerging and and they're going to continue to grow not only by uh, adoption but also I, i think you're going to see these huge massive healthcare systems slowly start to make a decision between do i get acquired do i fail or do i start to actually innovate and apply that quickly so i you are all becoming a very big influence across the market uh, not just technology but the actual model itself so uh, such a great great conversation i feel a follow-up coming on i'm excited to have you on some of our executive roundtables as well ayubami and uh My my Dartmouth brother, I I thank you for being on this little podcast. (laughs) It is my
1: absolute pleasure. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: And for more exciting excerpts and insights, please visit us at finthrive.com.